I want to uh, continue our series, and basically, you know, we're going to be discontinuing our Sunday evening services after next week. Um, and I tell you what, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about where God's taking this church. And just because we go to less services doesn't mean we're doing anything less. Um, because if it's one thing I know how to do, it's be busy about the Father's business. Uh, Jesus did this, and he actually ended up telling his own parents that, look, I'm doing my Father's business. I'm doing kingdom work. And um, so just know that when we take that away or we pull that out, um, I'm not doing that because I'm tired of preaching so much. I'm not doing that because I feel sorry for you guys always having to be here. We'll fill that time. We'll fill that time slot with something else. Um, Because, to be honest with you, we could have church every day and it still wouldn't be enough. Um, So... Uh, just, you know, I'm, I'm excited about where God's taken us in 2012, and I'm starting to get more and more direction. God's beginning to show us more things, and the Holy Spirit's leading us. Um, but just know that we're, we're not pulling away to lessen things. We're, we're pulling away to follow the Holy Spirit, and what does he want to do on Sunday evenings? And so we're starting to get direction there. But for the next two services, we've got two left. I'm going to finish out this series that we've been in. Uh, first, we started talking about well, the whole thing's been about the church. We saw in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus states to Peter, he says that I will build my church. So we've been spending quite some time. I think now we're up to nine or ten weeks into this thing uh, talking about the church. What does that church look like? Because when he says my church, he's saying that to differentiate between his church and churches that are not his church. So we need to know the difference, and I want to know, what does his church look like? Uh, Not just because I'm a pastor of a church, not just because he's put me in this position, but because I want to be a part of that church myself as an individual. And so we've been taking some time. The first part of this series we were looking at where Paul, uh, in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, relates the church to a body. And, you know, this morning we were ministering on the unseen realm and how God uses things in the scene to show you things in the unseen. And so that's exactly what Paul was doing. The unseen body of Christ, the unseen church, we can relate it to a seen body. We all know what bodies look like. We all know their makeup, their qualities, what makes up a body, uh, how does a body operate, what does it take to keep a body alive, how does the body work together, um, all those type of things. And so Paul is using that to give us a picture of something in the unseen realm. Uh, This is the same thing that God did to Abraham when he said, I'm going to make you father of many nations. Now let me show you what that's going to look like. Why? Because Abraham had no clue what it meant to be a father, period, much less a father of many nations. He didn't say a father of several children. He didn't say a father of many children or many grandchildren or to have generations. He went on to say father of many nations. So he's having to paint a picture for Abraham of something that he's never seen. It's impossible in his own natural mental capacity to be able to picture what, it, what it's like to be a father of many nations. In fact, by this time, Abraham has probably put out even the thought of having children. You know, once you get to a certain age, um, it becomes a little harder to do that. Um, just, uh, just the way the body works. So at some point here, you know, God started showing Abraham this when he was 75 Probably by this point, him and his wife, Sarah, they've probably already come to an agreement. Look, it's just not in the cards, not going to happen. We're not going to have children, okay? So now God is coming to him and saying, you're going to be the father of many nations. Problem is, Abraham can't picture that. So what does he do? He says, get out of your tent, look up in the sky and look at the stars. What's he doing? He's giving him a seen, visible object to look at to paint a picture of what he's trying to get across to him in the unseen realm. He says, uh, more than the sands on the ocean. Well, that's a lot. So now, what does Abraham do? He's got something to connect his faith to. And we know that he was faithful. We know that he was righteous because he simply believed God at his word for these things. So God has, through Paul, given us a picture of what his church is supposed to look like. So Paul uses a body. Another example that Paul used was a house. That you are God's house. Well, a house is for what? To house something or 
put something in or a place to meet or an assembly to come together. So he uses these different things because we know what a house looks like. We know what a house is used for. We know how a house is built. Uh, We know what a body looks like. We know how the body is made up and how it operates. Why? So we can see in the seen realm how something to attach what God is trying to put across in the unseen realm. So we took some time there, about six weeks I think it was, to just look at the body, the body of Christ. Um, But now recently we have looked over and gone over to the house, building the church. And what does it mean to build the church? Because Jesus was very specific when he used the term, I will build my church. Meaning, one, there's a process of time that takes place. Uh, two, it's a structure. And it is, a, uh, it is something that uh, is put together with each piece having an integral part in that. Um, the first week we looked at the foundation. Because the most important feature of any building is what you hardly can see, and that is the foundation. The building we're in today, we can see the foundation. It hasn't been covered up yet. But most buildings, that's one of the first things that gets covered up, but that doesn't take away from its importance. We know this because Paul said you have honorable and less honorable parts of your body. What's that honorable mean? Does that mean you disgrace it or you don't give it as much respect? No, it just means that it's not seen. It's not as seen relatively. What we look at in a building is the walls or the painting or the doors. Um, I'm a feature kind of guy. I'm all about the little extra trinkets and things. When I look at a car or a truck, I'm all about the insides and the gauges and the CD players and the navigation and the heated seats and the leather. That's my thing. But that's that's not the structure of the vehicle. In fact, you could put all those nice things in a car, but if it doesn't have a motor or an engine or some of the less honorable parts, you ain't going nowhere. You're just looking cool sitting in your parking lot or your driveway or stuck at the gas station because there's no gas tank. So when it comes to the structural parts, they actually deserve more honor. I mean, you look at our own bodies, you don't see my lungs. In fact... Most people are grossed out if they see someone's insides. Well, we all agree to that. I would rather look at the outside of someone's body than the inside of someone's body. But guess what? If the inside ain't working right, the outside, it gets real bad real quick. Okay? And don't matter how good you look on the outside, don't matter what your frame, how you're built, doesn't matter any of that, none of that counts. If you don't got a heart pumping, a brain working, I mean, come on, we got some people that look nice on the outside, but there's something missing up here, and so, wow, you, you look good until you open your mouth, and right? We, we know some people like that. We got to have all those parts working together, and so um, we were talking about the foundation. The second part that we looked at last week was the structure, and we talked about how a building Once it's built and once it's put together, one, each part of the building carries its weight. We were talking about finding your fit last week. And we talked about how different things are put in certain places as who chooses? The builder or the planner. And so we saw, actually I've got those verses. Let's go ahead and look at that foundation real quick. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we saw that this thing is put together by God himself. He's placed people in the body. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 says, And he himself, who? God, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying or the building up or the encouraging of the body of Christ. We said that in the church, this ought to be a place of encouragement. God has placed all these units, all these parts in the body. He himself, as it pleased him, as he chose. Why? So the building can then build itself. See, the builder of this building that we're in today should not have to keep coming here every day to hold. I mean, he shouldn't have to be on site holding up walls or making sure the ceiling doesn't fall down or uh, making sure doors close properly. Why? Because once he built it, 
He put things in place in such a way that it would maintain itself. Okay? So, uh, the structure is very key. If you are in your fit, then you are bringing a supply to the body that then holds up and causes the entire body to grow. Causes the entire body to edify itself, encourage itself, build itself up. There's a building up that takes place after it is built. And after Jesus builds his church, he then places us in the body as it pleases him so that we can continue to keep it built up, keep it standing. And so we see a lot of churches with structural damage. We see a lot of churches um, where they aren't building each other up. They're not encouraging each other. There's a lot of gap. There's a lot of gossip. There's a lot of backbiting. There's a lot of, uh, you know, disagreements and uh, discord. And the whole church is now what? Structural damage is terrible to a building. Structural damage is terrible to God's house because that actually tears it down. You're no longer building it up. You're actually doing your part to tear it down and to bring it down. And that's what a lot of churches are going through. And so we see this. We see this happening in our own nation. There's churches here in this state. uh, One very large church that I just read about, I think, this past week um, of stuff that's going on in the church. If I said the name, you'd know who he is. And, you know, I, I hate to hear that stuff because this is why Paul's writing this. He's not writing this so you can know what an apostle looks like and what a prophet looks like. And he says, all these have been placed in the body as it pleases him to encourage and edify. If there's no edification going on, if there's no encouraging going on, the church is not being built up. It's being torn down. And we don't want to tear down God's house. We don't want to tear down his building. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We want to build his church. And he's building it, and he's placed people in the body as it pleases him. But we want to continue that structure. We want to continue to build up the church. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18 says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. I love that he added each one of them. That pretty much right there sums up, you, you're not left out. No matter, no matter what it is, no matter how dishonorable. And again, that word, less honorable, when he, said, when he says that, he's not talking about re, you receive less honor or you don't receive as much respect. He means not as visible. That's what he's using here. That's what that term means. Not as visible, not always seen. And that's the way it is in church. You have the pastor that's out front. You got the worship leader that's out front a lot. Um, you know, you got children's pastors and those type of things. But then there are people that not as not as seen. Administrations, helps, um, those type of gifts that people bring to the body, uh, parking lot. You know, there are things that are not as visible. But you know what Paul says? They should actually receive more honor. Because I'll tell you right now, there's no there's no pastor in here. That wants to preach and do children's at the same time. I'm going to tell you right now. Doesn't want to do it. There's no pastor uh, over a church that wants to uh, go and run the parking lot real quick. And help people find a parking spot. And then run back inside and preach real quick. And we saw in Acts chapter 6. That the uh, disciples assigned people to do these positions. So they could what? Sit on their hands and do nothing? No. So they could get back to study and prayer. Study of the word and prayer. So that's what those things are. They're honorable. They bring honor. And they help support the body. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Let's go on down there. Same chapter. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, Varieties of tongues. I mean, he's not leaving anything out here. He says, look look at all these different ways you can serve your church. Look at all these different ways you can find your fit. And then he starts it off with, but God chooses. God places as the Spirit wills. And he says in another passage that it pleases him when you're in your fit. 
You want to be pleasing to God? Get in your fit. You want to be pleasing to God? Serve the local body church. That's what's important. So I wanted to lay that foundation real quick that God chooses where you go in the body. God chooses your fit. God places you. So here's what I want to get to today. The title of my message today is Get Set. Get Set. We know that within our own bodies and within buildings, there are moments and there are times where things can come out of alignment. So there is a setting that needs to take place. There is a setting that needs to take place. Now, we just saw that God has placed us in the body. God has chosen our position. God has chosen our fit. So guess what? If we get out of alignment, whose job is it to get us back in? We've got to get back in place. We've got to get back in place. But since God is the builder, and he knows where you belong, guess what he does? He comes along and he helps get you back in that place. And there's several ways that he does that. I broke my finger a few years ago, and I don't know if anyone in here has ever broken a bone. It was the first time I ever broke a bone in my body. Never broken a bone before that. And I was playing flag football, and I think I've told most of you the story. Just snapped my finger, my ring finger, right below the knuckle. And the first thing, the first thing they did, uh, we were, I was lucky we had a paramedic on site, um, actually goes to our church. Great man, great man of God. And, um, you know, when I first did it, I didn't know I broke it. It felt like a jam. It felt like I jammed my finger is all. But when I looked down, I saw that's not a jam finger. Um, and it didn't look good. And when I saw it, you know, I'm thinking, I mean, I, I'd never been in that situation, so there wasn't any panic, but it was just, what's next? What do I do now? I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin. Do I go to the doctor? Do I go to the ER? Uh, do I need to put something on it now? I had no clue what to do. No clue. Uh, but uh, Mr. Ernie was his name, Ernie. Uh, he's a paramedic, um, and he also does uh, some kind of health classes too. He's got his own business when he, where he does those things. He goes to different places and does CPR training and all that kind of stuff. And... Um, he didn't know that I knew it was broken. I knew. I mean, it was pretty obvious once I saw it. Uh, but I wasn't really acting like I knew. And I wasn't shouting, hey, everybody, I broke my finger. I was just kind of didn't know what to do. So I went over to the sidelines, and he was there. And he saw my finger, and he knew what to do. So he uh, grabbed my hand and just told me to relax my arm and keep it out straight. And so he grabbed my hand where it's, parallel, it's perpendicular with my body. And someone else just kind of grabbed my shoulder and trying to calm me down. I, you know, I wasn't really hysterical anyways, but just try, you know, made sure they knew what was coming. That's what happened. And so, and he, again, he didn't tell me he was setting it because he wasn't going to tell me it was broken. And obviously as a paramedic, you know that you don't bring to light the situation to the person because... If they don't know, that's probably their best asset at the time. If they don't know they're bleeding out or if they don't know they just popped something or broke something or how bad something is, it keeps them from going hysterical and panicking. So, you know, he grabbed my finger and popped it into place because it was crooked. I mean, it was on top of my middle finger. It wasn't good. And um, so what did he do? What did he do? He set the bone in place. Now, I'll tell you what. It was painful. It was probably the most painful of the whole scenario. It was more painful than breaking it. Again, breaking it just felt like, you know, I jammed my finger. But when he said it, it was painful for a moment, but it had to happen. Why? Because the bone will grow back together and will fuse, and if it's not set properly, it will grow improperly. Very simple. It will fuse together out of place. Now, I'll tell you this. Uh, you know, he did the best he could, but it's not, it's not perfect. I mean, I can't close my 
finger all the way. There's just something there that stops it because it's just not set in place the best. Um, in fact, when I ended up getting x-rays and seeing a doctor, um, you know, they said that it probably needs surgery to, to have it set and probably place a couple screws in there to keep it in line. So I didn't do that, obviously. Um, wore a cast for a couple weeks and said, forget that. And so here we are today. I can do everything I did before. It's no problem. But the key that we're hitting on is the setting of the bone, getting it back in alignment. This is called correction. Now, this, is a, this is a great message. This is great. You know why? Because this sets us free. There's so much freedom in correction. There's so much freedom. And you know what? It don't feel good. It don't feel good at the moment. In fact, we're getting ready to look at a verse. Let's go over there. Let's go to Hebrews. It doesn't feel good at the moment. But there is a motive for correction. And there are several ways that God does this. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I'll tell you, I would have much rather Mr. Ernie set my finger than be stuck with it the way that it was. Because I probably wouldn't be able to use it to the extent that I'm able to use it today. It would have looked funny. And, you know, it probably would have caused problems later on down the road. Because when, you, when something goes unfixed or something isn't corrected or something isn't set properly... It's a, it's a domino effect, and it affects everything. Again, we've been talking about the body, and when you understand how a body works, even a building, when one thing's out of place, it throws everything off. It can set everything off. Um, I remember when we were doing some construction over on the other side, and our framer that did the work for us, he was just kind of talking to me, and he's built houses for years. And he was talking about... And it just brought to light something for me, because I never really paid attention to it, but just being off just an inch in something can throw off the entire floor plan, can throw off the entire house. Because cabinets in a kitchen are built to be a certain height and a certain distance from certain things. And if a wall was off, see, the thing is, is when they put something in, they base it upon where something else is supposed to go. So if there's supposed to be a wall here, and then the cabinet starts, and this wall is a further in, they're still starting that cabinet where it's supposed to go. And now we've got it in a position, and it throws everything off. The door might not open the right way. Um, you know, it, it, the doorway might have to be moved down. I mean, just all kinds of chain reactions that happen because of one thing being out of line, being out of place. So we have to correct it. I mean, there were things that we ran into over there. Um, there was one issue. It's kind of hard to explain it, but we were off by about three inches on something. And, uh, you know, to me, I'm thinking, just leave it. No one's going to know. But he started to show me, well, if we leave this here, then this is going to be off, and it's going to run into this, and then we're going to be short down here. And so I'm like, man, so what do you do? You take the time to correct where we were at. Otherwise, it would have thrown off the whole structure. It would have made it, uh, it would have made the walls off balance. Uh, we, would, we wouldn't have been locked into another wall down at another end. I mean, just a whole bunch of stuff. The whole structure would have been damaged because of a few inches. It's just amazing how that happens. So look what, look what this author says here, this writer, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 5. He says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Not accepting the correction and not accepting the chastening of the Lord actually pulls you out of relationship with him. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had human fathers who, had, who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection 
to the Father of spirits and live. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful, joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The purpose of chastening and the purpose of correction is to bear fruit. You saw up there in verse 10, For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit. It is to your benefit, it's to your profit that we receive and accept the correction from the Lord. Now when I say correction, I don't mean that you've been out in sin. It could be something simple. It could be something small, or it could be something large. But the correction is always, sometimes the correction is just simply, I need to take you to another level, and I need you to let go of this. That's all. There's, you know what, I, I need to get you to this level, which means I need you to spend more time in the world, which means I need you to spend less time in front of the TV. Correction. To get to the next level. God is always about moving forward. Always. I think I said it just a few services ago that God is a God of levels. God is a God. He's not a lottery God. He's not just dump it all on you and work your way through it. He's a level God. It means he wants to get you from here to here. And then he wants to get you from here to here. You know the parable of the talents. He gave one five, one two, and one one. Why? He's got them at levels based upon the maturity that they're at. And as they show themselves faithful with this, then they will be given this. And as they show themselves faithful with that, they'll be given this. God is a God of levels. But to get those levels requires a cutting off, requires you to do a little bit more, requires you to, to leave some things behind. That although it wasn't a sin or wrong for you to do at this point in life, now if we let that go, it'll help us get further and help us be uh, more effective at that level that God wants to place us. Okay, so when this correction comes, verse 11 says it is not joyful. It's actually painful. But afterward, everyone say afterward. But afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. The goal is to get someone back in right standing. And when you're back in right standing, it produces what verse 10 says that we may be partakers of his holiness. Remember we said that righteousness is what happens on the inside, but holiness has to do with our actions and our lifestyle. When you receive correction, you allow correction to do its work in your life. It gets you back in righteousness, gets you back in right standing, which then allows for holiness to take place, allows for a holy lifestyle to take place. So that's what we've got to do. It is the builder's responsibility to set something that gets out of alignment. I mean, in a building, if something were to go wrong here, if something were to be out of alignment, and you know what? You may not even see it for a while. I mean, this building, is, it's been here for a little while. But there may be things that if they didn't fix it when it should have been, it'll cause more damage. And we know that. I mean, how many times have we been sick with something or had something in our bodies and if we didn't take care of it immediately, as small as it was, it grew larger and created something else. I mean, I, you know, I've heard people that have gotten seriously sick and it started as an ear infection. Or people that have, uh, you know, just had a, a little cough. They didn't take care of it, turns into pneumonia, and now they're hospitalized. I mean, you hear about this kind of stuff all the time. Why? Because at the smaller level, if we would have corrected that, how painful and how... Uh, you know, how terrible it may have seemed, if we would have gone ahead and taken care of it at that level, it wouldn't have affected, but it always affects something else. And the same goes for the church. The same goes for the church. The greatest asset that we have um, is our influence. But the problem with influence is it can go both ways. You can have good influence on someone, or you can have bad influence on someone. And there are things that happen in the church that if they're not taken care of at the small level, between one or two people, will grow. I've seen this happen myself personally in churches I've been a part of. Where you just get one or two people 
And before you know it, if it's not taken care of at that level, if it goes unnoticed or goes unknown, if someone doesn't say something, then it grows. And now you've got a mass exodus, or now you've got, you know, 15 or 20 people that are all sided with one side. Why? What happened? It started with one person. I mean, you look at the, the downfall of creation started with one person. And God took care of that one before it got worse. And so this is what God's doing with the church. This is what's required in the church. Now, how does God correct? How does God chasten? Uh, let's look at Revelation chapter 3. Before I get to how, let's just look at a few more passages here that deal with correction and God's position on correction. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 19, almost reads just like what we just read in Hebrews. Uh, Revelation 3, verse 19 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous or passionate and repent. He says, As many as he loves, he chastens. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor Detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Isn't this awesome to see that God corrects and chastens out of love? The world has turned us against correction. The world does not want to receive correction. The world does not want to receive you're doing something wrong, let's get back in alignment. The world detests this, and the world does everything to try to avoid it. And when the correction comes, they look down on the leadership that is correcting them. And now we've allowed this in the church, to where now pastors are afraid to correct somebody for the fear of them leaving, for the fear of them having an incorrect response, for the fear of them going back to other people in the church and saying, could you believe the pastor said this to me, and could you believe the pastor did this? This is happening. So now we have sin running rampant in the church because pastors are afraid to take the position that God takes. And he says that those whom he loves, he corrects. I'm going to tell you right now, if you are being corrected or if you're in a position where there's some chastening or God's showing you let's do it this way, let's not continue this path he's doing that because he loves you not because he hates you and we have painted this picture of a God that's sitting up waiting for people to mess up and strike them with lightning bolts and try to redirect them and that's just not true when he corrects or when he chastens what is he doing? He is all that correction is, is just redirecting that's all it is You've gotten off of this path. You've gotten over here. Let's get back on this path. That's what correction is. And if we could see it for that way. But what does the enemy do? He twists. He perverts. He, he takes things that God does and the way God works and tries to uh, make it look like a bad thing instead of a good thing. And so this is what we've done in the world. We cannot let that view of correction get into the church. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17. I'll just read these for you. I've got a few more here. Proverbs 10 verse 17 says, He who keeps instruction is in the way of life. But he who refuses correction goes astray. There's that redirecting. Without correction, you will go off the path. Without correction, you will find yourself going your own way. Going astray. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who, I love this one, but he who hates correction is stupid. Hey, I didn't make that up. That's what it says. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. Correction actually brings us knowledge. Man, if we could just see it this way. It's actually bringing us knowledge on how to do something the right way. How to be in right alignment or do it the way it's supposed to be done. 
I'm going to tell you, I've been in those positions of correction, and I've been in um, the painful ones. But I would not be where I am today without that. And that's the kind of pain you want to endure. You know, Jesus talked about over in John chapter 15 about being a part of the vine, being the branch that's a part of the vine. And he says that if you aren't producing fruit, you get cut off. But you know what else he says? Even if you are producing fruit, there's cutting off. So you are not void of it. There's no person in ministry and no person in church that if they want to continue on the path that God has laid out for them, doesn't endure some kind of cutting off. It doesn't feel good. But why? So we can produce more fruit. I mean, anyone that's done any kind of farming, anyone that's done, I mean, just a few weeks ago, um, the neighbor across the street from me just had these huge trucks coming in and just tearing up these trees. And cutting, cutting off limbs and cutting off branches, I mean, tons of them, making a huge mess. And you're thinking, what, what is that for? It's so it will produce more. It, it's actually there to stimulate the growth within the tree. There is something awesome that comes after something is cut off. When there is a, when there is a putting away and laying aside of things, even in church... I have seen some of the greatest growth, greatest growth come in the church because there were things that were cut off, either within the people or people themselves. Anytime God subtracts, he multiplies on the other side. And it's always to bring in more growth. And I'll tell you, we've seen that in this church. Within the last year, we've seen that. Some things had to be put away. Some things had to be cut off. And there are some, they need to be here. But there are some, they don't. They didn't. But now we're seeing growth because of that. Because we were obedient to say, look, we have to go this way. It's no, not, it's no longer necessary. You have to make that move. Uh, you look at what God did with 300 men in Gideon. And he started out with way more than that. He started out with, I think, almost 20,000 men. And he winds that down, t- takes out 19,700 men, winds up with 300 to take on 120,000 men. I mean, he, he only had, he didn't even have a third of what was needed to fight the battle to begin with. And what is God doing? Cutting away. Why? This is all I need. Look, what God needs is not what we need or not what we think we need. Okay? God's saying, look, I don't need this part of you, and I don't need you to be attached to that. And you're thinking, but God is doing this, or God is doing that. And he's saying, no, let's just go ahead and correct. Let's just go ahead and cut off what I'm asking you to take out. Okay? So if you hate correction, it literally calls you stupid. That's Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Proverbs 15, verse 5. A fool despises his father's instruction. But he who receives correction is prudent. So we've seen here, we've laid out that correction is important. Correction, one, comes out of love. Correction, two, uh, comes with the motive of restoring something or restoring someone. And there's multiplication. There's an adding to that comes on the other side of correction. It is to see more fruit produced. Now, how does God correct There's several ways. The first way, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm sorry, not 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Got you running around there a little bit, working out your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. 
Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, you know, a lot of us are okay with the word being given to us for doctrine. I want to learn something. Instruction in righteousness, show me how to do something right. Reproof. But then for correction. That's the one sometimes we try to throw away. That's the one sometimes we try to throw out. But what's this saying? The Word will bring correction to our... Has anyone ever read the Word and it shows you something and it's like, man, I'm not doing that. Or, man, I'm doing that the wrong way. Why? Because the Word will bring that correction in our life. Just reading the Word. Now, look, it requires you to be in the Word. And... Sometimes we avoid reading the Word because we're afraid it's going to show us something that we need to change in our life, right? But let's go ahead. Let's pick up the Word. Let's let it reveal what needs to be changed. Why? So we can be profitable. Look what that says in verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. I don't know about you, but I want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we don't receive correction we'll end up being thoroughly equipped for every bad work. But I want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Galatians chapter 6. Correction comes through the Word. Galatians chapter 6. Correction first comes through the Word. In our personal, individual lives comes through the word. But look at this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So what's he saying? When you see someone is in sin, brethren, first of all, he's talking about brethren. Then he's, there's a qualifier, you who are spiritual, Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. So when you go in to correct someone, make sure you don't fall into the same temptation that they're in. Number two, or verse two, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Bearing loads. Last week we were talking about the church building itself up. And for you to be able to build someone else up, you first got to keep yourself built up. But this is the second way correction comes. Verse 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, the Correction, we ought to find ourselves being accountable to each other. Now, this one we sometimes have a hard problem with because we want to bring up the verse, you know, don't judge me. You can't judge me. You can't tell me what I'm doing. You get, go ahead and get the beam pole out of your eye before you're trying to mess with all my flakes, right? But Jesus in that passage is talking about the world. And Jesus said, I will judge the world. I will judge the world. Not your job to go to the world and point out all their problems. It's your job to go to the world, get them in church, and let the church bring to them a new lifestyle to correct all those problems. But for brethren, for us in the church, we have a responsibility to bring to light. If you see someone in sin, you see someone in a trespass, out of love, out of gentleness, watching yourself and guarding yourself that you don't fall into the temptation, you go and you can bring that to light. You go and you can say, look, I've, seen this, I've been seeing this happen, and, you know, is God dealing with you in this area? Is God showing you something? Um, you know, I, I don't know that this lines up with the Word. And you can get the pastor, and you can go before them. It's not to bombard anybody. It's out of love. Because look what it says. It doesn't say, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual condemn such a one. It says, you who are spiritual 
restore. It's out of love. It's out of sense of, I just want to see you bring your best fit to this body. I just want to see you be everything that God wants you to be. And you know what? A lot of times, and I've had this happen to me, and a lot of times it was just something that just went unnoticed with me, or maybe I knew and I just didn't put a lot of emphasis on, but when someone brought it to light and showed me that, and I've done it for other people. I've done it for some of my closest friends, and that's where familiarity sets in sometimes. They don't want to hear that from you. But if they're really my friend, then I'm going to go and bring this up to them. And I can show them. And I'm not saying it was anything serious. I'm just saying, look, you know, I, I, I know that you serve in this area. And, um, you know, you're, you're required to be there at this certain time. And I just noticed a couple of weeks, you know, in a row now, you've kind of been running a little bit late and just wanted to, you know, your faithfulness and your diligence to that area is important. That's all. Now, obviously, if there's a sin involved, we want to bring those up too. But when I'm talking correction, I'm not talking, let's go and hunt out everybody's problems. But correction brings out what is evident and shows it to that person. Why? To restore them. Not to say, hey, uh, I'm better than you because you're struggling with that and I'm not. So I just wanted to point that out. That's not restoration. That's not the right motive. That's not the right mentality. When we go to correct, or when we, grow, when we go to bring correction, we're bringing light. And you know what? I have found that myself uh, as a pastor and even just helping coworkers or helping uh, you know, other brethren in the church, that a lot of times when I bring something up to someone, it's not, I'm not the first person. You know who was the first person? The Holy Spirit. And that's, what, that's a lot of times what I tell people when I counsel them. I say, look, if I'm talking to you, it's because the Holy Spirit's been trying to talk to you and we just haven't quite listened. We haven't quite been obedient. We haven't been quick to respond in that area to what the Holy Spirit's been saying. So now God's called me in on this thing. A lot of times when you go to someone and you, you bring to light an area that needs correction, somebody else has already been talking way before you showed up. And it's the Holy Spirit. And it just helps confirm within them, look, you're right. You're right. And, you know, the Holy Spirit's been dealing with me on it. And, you know, I just haven't been as quick to respond. Thank you for bringing that to light. Thank you for showing me that. Thank you for caring and having enough love and enough heart about it to identify this in my life. And then the correction comes and you move on. And you know what? I'll tell you what. You'll want to do that because what you sow, you will reap. And you want people bringing to light an area in your life that needs to be corrected. You want that. That is the body building itself up. That's the body edifying itself. That's the body coming together and working together as a unit. That's what the body does. And look what it says there. At the very end, verse 5, For each one shall bear his own load. No, let me go up further. Verse 2. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? law of Christ is love as I have loved you. And how does God love us? Through chastening and correction. We just saw that. God chastens. God corrects. God puts back onto the right path those he loves. So if I love you like God loves me, if I love you like the law says I should, because remember he said, you got all these commandments, but let me break it down for you. Let me give you a commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love as I have loved you. He just gave us a new standard of love. So now if I'm going to show you love, the way God shows me love, if I see an area that needs to be corrected, I'm not going to be quiet about it. I'm going to come to you in love and bring correction and identify that so we can move forward, we can correct it. And at the same time, I'm going to help you bear your burden. I'm going to help you bear your burden. That's when you know someone's really 
wanting to correct you. Now, if someone's just wanting to correct you and then walk away and say, I, I'm not here to help you, well, that's not love. But true love and true correction will be, I've seen this issue, now let me help you. Let me, I'll be, I'll, I'll, you can be accountable to me. Let me help you right the wrong. Let me help you get in alignment. Let me help you. That's what true correction is. Because does God do that? Does God just correct us and then say, figure it out on your own? No. He's given us his Holy Spirit to say, this is what you need to correct. And here's who I've put in you to help you live that way and help you do this right and help you know when you're doing it wrong. So we need to do the same thing for others, for brethren. Now, again, that's not going to your coworkers, your, unsa- your unsaved friends, and pointing out everything they're doing wrong and saying, hey, I'm, I've been sent here to correct you. Because that's, that's not who this verse is for. Jesus already said that I will judge the world. He's the judge of the world. We just continue to let our light shine. We just continue to let them... Let the word be planted within them that one day will bear fruit and we'll see them come into the kingdom. And then we are placed around. But this is the brethren working together. This is the brethren of the church, the body, working together in unity. And part of that is correcting. But in correcting, you help hold up. You know, I remember when we were um, taking down the walls at the other location, uh, we went and pulled down that last wall. And we, I mean... You know, Matt Hunt was there working with us, and um, he had looked at it several times, but when we went and yanked the wall, the ceiling came down. That last wall, we didn't know, was holding up the ceiling, and there was no bracing. So now we got a structural problem. We got tile tracks starting to bend down. We got tiles falling out everywhere. It is a mess. We should have just left the wall. But what did Matt do? He braced it. He brought extra support. He got up there before the whole thing came crashing down, was able to wire it up. And then while it was wired up, he was able to fasten in some extra wood to brace it, to keep it there. And thank God, I'm sure it's still there today. I'm sure it is because he knows what he's doing. But what did he do? He brought in extra support. When when I broke my finger, uh, after they set it, the first thing they did was bring in support and wrap it around that support. Why? To keep it in place. Without that, it could have gotten back out of place. I could have hit it. I could have bumped it. I mean, there's all kind of things that I could have ran into that would have caused my finger to go back to the, the original, to the place it was. Broken. Unset. So what do we do? We are that support system. When someone's failing or when someone's, uh, you know, having trouble carrying their load, we don't just leave them out to dry. We come in love. We bring the correction. We bring the area up. And then we say, but look, we're here to support you. We're here to see you get this thing right. I can't do it for you, but I can be around you. And I can set up and be an aid to you and help carry your burden, help carry your load. And then he goes on and says to examine yourself. The first thing you should do is examine yourself. That's the first thing we need to do. Even within the church, we don't need to be, you know, running around trying to point out other, other people's problems. We need to examine ourselves because then at the end it says we need to be able to carry our own load. So when you're able to carry your load, that's what qualifies you to help someone else carry their. If you're having trouble carrying your own load, you probably shouldn't, you know, um, you know, if someone in the church were having an alcohol problem, I'm not going to find someone else that's having an alcohol problem, put them around that, <laughs> and say, all right, you two, you guys figure this out together. No, we're going to brace it with something strong. You know, I mean, you're going you're gonna to put something there. If Matt had just left the wire up in the ceiling holding those things up, it would have crashed by now. Why? It's not able to support that. So let's bring in something that is strong that will be able to carry its own load plus the added load. I'll tell you right now, our goal should always be to be able to not only carry our own load, but help others carry theirs. That's how the church, that's how the church works together. That's how the body comes together. 
We're not coming together out of hate. We're not coming out of a gotcha mentality. Uh, not a better, I'm better than you mentality. It's about you affect the body and I affect the body. So let's get together and get this thing going so the body can be what it needs to be. That's the body coming together. There's no disunity in that. There's no dissension. There's no looking down upon. It's a building up. It's an encouraging. That's why that correction is there. And that's how the body can be a blessing to itself. And then the last one is the pastor. The pastor is the shepherd that God has placed over the flock. And I'm going to be getting into this. We'll wrap it up next week with the role of the pastor. But in correction, there are things that uh, God brings to light either... uh, just by the Holy Spirit or through some sort of knowledge that the the pastor of a church... It's amazing how many people don't want a pastor. It's amazing. There are some churches now that are actually doing away with the title of pastor. And they just want to call them leaders. Or they just... There's that term. I'm telling you, man, there are things that are happening in churches today. They're actually having to refute the Bible. Who made up the term pastor? Jesus. It's in the Bible. So why would you not want to call yourself a pastor? Well, that's just too overbearing. And people don't, people look at pastors the wrong way. They see them as just, well, why don't you go ahead and paint the picture of what a pastor is supposed to be rather than becoming what everybody else wants the pastor to look like. But, and so now we've got people that don't even want to come up under a pastor. Well, I'll come to your church, but I don't want to submit. I don't want to be in your, under your leadership. I don't want to subject myself to the way you do things. This is crazy. This is crazy, I'm telling you. It's crazy stuff that's happening. But having a pastor is one of the most awesome things. And although I'm a pastor, I still have a pastor. And I'm accountable to him. And I tell him things. If I'm struggling with something, I know that I can go to him and he's not going to look down on me. He's not going to put me down. What's he going to do? He's going to help carry my burdens. But that's why you have a pastor. I'm not here just to lecture you. I'm not just here to give you a good little sermon and show you a couple of scriptures every week. I'm here to be a support to you and an aid to you and to help get you with other supports and other aids. My best interest is the church. But there are those that don't have an interest for the church. They're called hirelings. Jesus talked about them in John, and we'll look at this next week. But there, were, there are hirelings that when trouble comes, and things start coming against the church, you know what they do? They split. They run. And you know what Jesus says? He says that they run because they really don't care about the church. You want to know how much a pastor cares? See where he is when trouble comes. When everything's going good and everything's going great and numbers are coming and people are excited, Pastor, you're doing such an awesome job, such a good word this morning. But when things start coming against them, see where the pastor goes. Does the pastor stand his ground? I mean, I'm thankful for a godly pastor. And I've seen him over the last seven years and the things he's done, and he's stuck it through. Whether it was a bad decision or whether it was just straight hell breaking loose. And he, you lock arms and you just you keep going. You keep pursuing. And that's what a pastor is. So the three areas that correction comes from, one is from the Word. Examining ourselves, being in the Word. That identifies Areas of our life that need to be redirected. Two, it's each other. We are here to correct each other. We are here to strengthen each other. And not just correct and point out wrong, but to help somebody get it right. Anybody can point out problems. I, I don't like problem finders. You'll learn this about me. In leadership, I'm, I, do, I do not like problems. Anybody can look around and say, man, we need to fix that and we don't have enough of this. I want problem solvers. I want someone to come and say, hey, I got a great idea. We could cover this up with this. Or, hey, um, you know, I noticed the children's ministry has been running kind of tight. I think we could do. That's what true leaders are looking for. And so that's what God needs in the body is problem solvers. Let's get together, not just to point out each other's problems and say, man, you need to get this right. But, hey, I want to come alongside you. I see you've been struggling a little bit here. But I love you, and I know that you are an asset to this church, an asset to the body, and I want to see you get this right so we can all pursue and fulfill the purpose. Okay? And then the third one is your pastor. And God will bring things to light by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, people are afraid of that. 
you know, there's a fear that comes. I wonder if you know, God's telling about this. If God's telling me anything, he's already telling you. Amen. He's already been telling you by the Holy Spirit. I've never talked to anyone about an issue that was a total surprise to them or where I totally missed it. It's because the Holy Spirit's already been saying something. The Holy Spirit's already been identifying something there. So that's why we have pastors for that godly leadership and that redirecting. Again, that's what correction is. It's just a redirecting because we're always moving forward somewhere. You're always going somewhere. Is it the right path? Is it going the right way? And that's how you build the church. That's how you build the church. We lay the foundation of the word. We get in our fit and we become the structure. But then when there is structural damage, when there are things that fail, when there are things, we don't tear each other down because now we're just making the... That's like, you know, if there was a hole in the sheetrock over here, I wouldn't just go and bash it in and just put a bigger hole. What does that do? You know, and just get mad at the hole and just start banging on the hole. No, I want to do what I need to do to correct the hole. Get it back in place. Let's put some aid there. Let's put some support. Let's get the thing back so it's looking like the body and able to fulfill its perfect fit in the body. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you this evening that you are.